following audio is from Deering Christian Church. Join us Sunday mornings at 10.15 or check us out at DeeringChristian.org. You know what? Um, Netflix has kind of changed everything. It really, really has because the, the, the stakes aren't quite as high anymore. And what I mean is this. Uh, some of you might remember back in the days, even before Blockbuster, when if you're going to watch a movie, you do it, the only way you do it is by going to the theaters. And you go to those theaters and you put down your hard-earned cash, which I think typically going to the movies these days, including popcorn and pop, will probably average out to around a 20% of your week's pay. Uh, by the time you're done, um, and that's if you get paid a lot, all right? So um, so you're there, you've paid this money, you've made this investment, and I want, have you been there before? You're like, I paid for this? I'm watching this on the screen right now, and I paid for it. And then there's those times you're in the theater, and you're watching like Aliens 38, you know? And uh, because it's so good, they just keep doing it again, all right? And, and you're, you're sitting there, and then in comes this family, like with six-year-olds, and you're just like, ah, is this going to work? Do you, do you parents really not value your sleep? Because those kiddos are going to be in your bed for the next month and a half, okay? Bad dreams are coming, right? So you're, you're all there. You're sitting there watching. Maybe kiddos are with you, and you're like, I'm, I'm sticking it out. I paid a lot of money for this. The stakes are high. I'm staying. I don't care if what's on the screen is is horrible and not any good whatsoever. There's no talent on that screen whatsoever. But you know what? I'm going to stick it out. All right? And so that's one thing. And then you get into Blockbuster. Remember the Blockbuster days? And then it's even a little bit of an investment there because you've got to drive all the way to town and get your VHS cassette. Okay? You bring it home, much like my father-in-law used to do when he and his wife would go out on dates and he just I've probably told this from up here on the stage three or four times it's so funny it's so worth using because he had in his brain any movie named Candyman is something for kids right and it doesn't matter which one it is you just bring it home and those kids are going to love it okay so you come home from Blockbuster, this is not what I expected, but there's an investment there, okay? These days, with Netflix, even streaming or something, it's like, nope, not going to watch it. Nope, not going to do that. We'll flip over here, watch another one, watch another one, watch another one, all right? Things have changed. What does that have to do with Daniel? Let me tell you. Daniel and the lion's den, we tend to think of it as a child's story. We hear it from so young. Folks, it is not a child's story. It is incredibly violent. And the stakes, the real stakes, are incredibly high. And not only this, it's not a story. It happened. It's an account. All right? So as we jump into Daniel and the lion's den, the first thing that might pop into our brain, when we jump here into Daniel chapter 6, right there in the first verse, we see a name we haven't seen yet. And the name is this, Darius. Who is this Darius guy? Um, Well, I'm going to tell you a little bit has happened since Daniel chapter 5. Now, we talked about last week a huge amount of time and amount of transition between Daniel 4 and Daniel 5. Well, there's not quite as much between 5 and 6, except for this. An entire new kingdom is in charge now, all right? 
But the time frame is not that distant. And it's simply because of this. Now, this is where it gets a little confusing if, if you are a world ancient world history buff. Um, who's this Darius guy? Because Darius was not the king of Persia. The king of Persia was a guy by the name of Cyrus. And it's Cyrus who we read about in other parts of our Bible, Ezra and Nehemiah, that, that he, he takes the forefront and God uses Cyrus to do something amazing for his people. They get to go back home. So who's this Darius? Well, most likely what we glean from world history and from the information we have is he was a general in Cyrus's army. And as a matter of fact, it was probably him who was leading the campaign that ended up taking over Babylon. Now, they're... they're, they're they were after more than Babylon. Persia was, a, was an expansive kingdom. But he was important enough that Cyrus put him in charge in this part of his empire. All right? And that included what was Babylon and the capital. All right, so that's who Darius is. Now, Darius comes there, and just like most other kingdoms do, they will take the best and the brightest from the kingdom before, integrate them into their kingdom. Now, keep a close eye on them, because they don't want any rebellion, but they will continue to use that hierarchy in their new government. And it's interesting that we see that Daniel must have been more impressed with Darius than he was the juvenile Belshazzar that we looked at in Daniel chapter 5. Because Daniel seems to win the respect of Darius, and so, and that was, that was paid back to Daniel, because Daniel very quickly rises to the top of this new government of Persia in this part of the world. Now, when someone is incredibly successful, more often than not, in our world, it's not just being happy for them that takes place. Especially when someone is highly successful, it seems like there is always in our world a level of jealousy. Because somebody's getting something that's not rightfully theirs in the person's mind who's jealous. I can tell you a little something about something gets something that's not rightfully theirs. You know what? Donna and I are gardeners. You know what we're not going to grow this year? And it's killing me. Yeah, Addison's about to shed tears right here because she's so sad about this. We're not growing sweet corn. You know why? Because we don't grow sweet corn for ourselves. We grow it for coons. Little mass bandit things, that's, that's, what, that's what we do. That's what we do. I mean, we put a lot of work, a lot of effort into it, and they enjoy it. We, I think last year we might have gotten maybe one meal out of, we didn't get, we got one meal, did we not get one meal? If we shared it, we got one meal. Okay. The Coons did well. All right. And in the past two years, I lost count somewhere around 17 or 18 that we killed. We did not take Coons to a happy hunting land somewhere. We killed them. All right. Okay. And um, what, what, that, what that looked like is, is it's like, I got, we got the last one. We got the last one. And more kept on coming. And more kept on coming. And guess what? It's not just them. Over on our farm, we got the same thing happening. But it's not, it's not sweet corn. It's trees. These stupid beavers come out of nowhere and they chew down. They never chew down the bad trees. They don't chew a black locust. They chew oak trees. And it drives me crazy. And you can trap them and you can trap them. You can have other people trap them. And guess what? Here comes more. Here comes more. This incredible, unlimited supply of vermin, okay? 
Daniel, you know what he was considered by his contemporaries? Vermin. Exactly right. Because he's an outsider. He came in here. He kind of takes control. He's taking things that aren't rightfully his. Darius comes, sets up shop, and what he has here is 120. Now, the Bible calls them satraps. They're more like mayors. That would probably be the closest thing that we would have. And there's 120 of them. And then over them, he put three commissioners. And out of all of these leaders, there was one that distinguished himself above them all. You guessed it. Daniel. And the others did not like this. But here's the problem. It's next to impossible to get rid of Daniel. It's not because there's an unlimited supply of Daniels here, all right? It's because of this. Because he was untouchable. His character was unimpeachable. And it took a lot of scheming to try to figure out how to get rid of this guy. So let's read a little bit about it. We're in Daniel chapter 6. We're going to begin with verse 4. I've kind of set up for you where we are to this point. This is what it says. Then the commissioners and the satraps began trying to find a ground of accusation against Daniel in regard to government affairs. But they could find no ground of accusation or evidence of corruption inasmuch as he was faithful. And no negligence or corruption was to be found in him. So what was Daniel? He was loyal. He was motivated. And his closet was completely void of skeletons. All right? That's Daniel. He was like, he was like the perfect politician, if you think that can ever exist. It existed in Daniel. All right? So that is Daniel. They're like, how are we going to get this guy? Well, they got a plan. Verse 5, then these men said, we will not find any ground of accusation against this Daniel unless we find it against him in regard to the law of his God. They knew Daniel's primary allegiance. As good as as, and as loyal as Daniel was to the kings before him. Now, Daniel didn't think too much of Belshazzar. We talked about it last week, but he wasn't trying to overthrow him, all right? But the other kings, King Nebuchadnezzar, now King Darius. And there were other kings that we don't read so much about in this account that were there too. And he was always loyal to them. But they understood and they knew from Daniel's character and from Daniel's Loyalties that there was an allegiance higher than these earthly kings. And they also knew that this is a part of his life in which Daniel would not yield. He would be faithful to his God. So they come up with a plan. Look at verses 6 and 7. Then these commissioners and satraps came by agreement, that's something you're going to see a lot here, by agreement, to the king and spoke to him as follows. King Darius lived forever. All the commissioners of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the high officials and the governors, have counseled together that the king should establish a statute and enforce an injunction that anyone who makes a petition to any god or man besides you, O king, for 30 days shall be cast into The lion's den. It's interesting here that right off the get-go, they set this this trap with a lie. Who did they say wants the king to set this up? All of the commissioners, all of the satraps, all of the high officials. And they even go, they even broaden it out to try to include everybody. Who did they not include? 
Oh, only the most important one of all of them, Daniel? So they lied to the king in setting this trap. Darius's most valuable governmental asset is left in the dark about this. And at the same time, because of that, Darius was left in the dark. By agreement, these men came. This was a group effort. All right? They all came together besides Daniel and tried to pull this off. And this is what they're pulling off. And they have a pretty good plan. Puff the king up, you know. Puff him up. Make him feel pretty good about himself. And then tear him down. Now, it wasn't their primary goal to tear down King Darius. It was their goal to tear down Daniel. But Daniel just happened to be close to Darius. So in tearing down Daniel, they would also tear down Darius. A little bit more about that here in a little bit. Now, what is this all about? Does does, Darius want to be God for 30 days or something? I mean, is is it like, oh, I just want to give that a shot and see how good it's going to be? Is, is that what this is all about? No, that's not what this is all about at all. It's not like Darius, it, it, after all, if he wanted to be God, he would do it for more than 30 days. What this is more like is this. They believed, rightly so, that there were mediators between the gods. Now, they weren't right about that because there's one God. But between the gods and man. And what they're saying is, for 30 days, Darius, you will be the only mediator between your people, and the gods. And if anybody else tries to go to the gods by anything other than you, through anyone other than you, even any other god without using you to go through, then they're going to be in big trouble. We're going to throw them in the lion's den. Darius, like, hey, it sounds good to me. I'm like, okay, whatever, buddy. All right, so let's see what happens. There's another phrase here that's going to kind of jump off the page at us several times, all right? Look at verses 8 and 9. Now the king, now O king, established the injunction and signed the document that it may not be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which may not be revoked. You're going to see that a number of times here, all right? Therefore, King Darius signed the document that is the injunction. All right, the law of the Medes and the Persians is going to play in our... Very important role in this. Guys, we know enough about Daniel as well as his accusers knew enough about Daniel, all right, to know that this trap is going to work. Okay? All the other commissioners have to do is watch him wait. That's exactly what they did. Look at verses 10 and 11. Now, when Daniel knew that the document was signed, he entered his house. Now, in his roof chamber, he had windows open toward Jerusalem. And he continued kneeling on his knees three times a day and praying and giving thanks before his God as he had been doing previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and supplication before his God. You know, I don't know if this actually works. And we never tried it in our garden. But, but I, I, I've read and I've been told that a way that you can, that you can trap, trap a coon is you can drill a hole in a log. You heard this before? Okay. Put something shiny in the bottom of that hole. And then you either drill or drive nails into that hole pointing down towards that shiny object where the coon can reach in there and grab it. But whatever's in that hole, they have to make a fist around it. And then they can't, they can't pull their hand their hand, paw, whatever, out. I don't think they have thumbs. 
I don't know. They can do a lot of things with those paws. Anyway, all right. Anyway, okay. I'm gonna chase chase squirrel. Get careful here. All right. So they cannot get their hand out. They're stuck. All right. And they they're not gonna let go. That's what I've been told. Now I don't know if that's true or not. Never tried it, but that's what I've been told. I can tell you one thing about Daniel. He's just like that. He can't help himself. They say don't pray to God. He's like sorry. It's a part of who I am. I cannot stop doing this. The trap worked. Now, the trap has not been completely sprung yet. It catches another unintended victim with it. All right? Verses 12 through 15. Then they approached and spoke before the king about the king's injunction. Did you not sign an injunction that any man who makes a petition to any god or man besides you, O king, for 30 days, is to be cast into the lion's den? The king replied that its statement is true, according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which may not be revoked. Then they answered and spoke before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or to the injunction which you signed but keeps making his petition three times a day. Then as soon as the king heard this statement, he was deeply distressed, and he set his mind on delivering Daniel. And even until sunset, he kept exerting himself to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Recognize, O king, that is the law of the Medes and the Persians, that no injunction or statute which the king establishes may be changed. I just wonder... I wonder, now, I don't know how smart these wise men are. Now, according to what we get from Daniel, they're not that bright, okay? I mean, anytime there was a a problem that needed to be solved by King Belshazzar or King Nebuchadnezzar, they got nothing, all right? I mean, uh, they they, they really aren't. So, I don't know if it entered their mind at all to be somewhat a little bit nervous about the reaction of the king. When the king is very upset... But he's not upset that Daniel disobeyed. He's upset that Daniel is the victim of this trap. And I have a feeling he's already beginning to realize he has been manipulated. And yet these commissioners come and said, remember, remember King, you, 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 you said, you know, this can't be. You got to do it. You signed it, King. You got to do it. All right. So the king goes forth. Tries to figure out all day how he can get out of this, but he can't. And then what you see next is a really long night. I think all of us have had long nights for various reasons. Okay? We all have. Donna had kind of a kind of a long night. Not a bad night, but a long night. We have a sister-in-law going to be having a baby very, very soon. And we're all very excited about that. And Donna spent some time there at the house last night. Got home like 5 o'clock this morning. All right? Kind of a long night. Not a bad night. Kind of a long night. Have you had those nights before? You ever had a long night where sleep is not there? It's interesting. We've got Daniel and Darius. Which one, if you knew nothing about this story, would you think is the one who had a long night? The guy that's getting thrown in the lion's den or the guy who's sitting in a palace? All right? Which one? Okay, now hold that thought for just a moment. It might surprise some to find out who had the long night. So let's continue on. Verse 16. Then the king gave orders, and Daniel was brought in and cast into the lion's den. The king spoke and said to Daniel, Your God, whom you constantly serve, will himself deliver you. 
Now, these words are coming out of Darius's mouth, but I can tell you one thing. I don't think Darius believed it. <laughs> because look what happens next. Verse 18. The king went off to his palace. I mean, verse 17, he threw, Daniel got thrown in the lion's den. All right? King put a signet ring on it, put a seal on it, and he went home. And the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. And no entertainment was brought before him, and his sleep fled from him. So the king goes to his palace. No midnight snacks. No here's Johnny Tonight Show. Okay? And, and no sleep. He doesn't get any of that. And it says that he fasted through the night. I got a question for you. It doesn't say anything about him praying. It just says that he fasted. Do you think Darius has heard anything about these exiles from Judah and their God? Has he been serving long enough in this capital of former Babylon to have heard the stories about, say, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? About that fiery furnace? Has he heard about the God of the Jews? No, he's obviously heard some about them because he says the God of Daniel. So he's fasting. It doesn't seem to say anything about him praying to gods or the God. Now this is interesting to me. Can you imagine what his prayer, if he was honest, would look like if he was praying? Oh God of Daniel, save Daniel from the lions because I'm an idiot. I mean, seriously, who, who put him in the lion's den? I mean, he was manipulated, but who made the decree? I don't know. Maybe some of us in this room have prayed that prayer before. Save me, Lord, because I'm an idiot. <laughs> All right? So, I don't know if he prayed. We do know he fasted. We know this. He had an incredible long night. Incredibly long night. Now, let's continue on. Verse 19. Then the king arose at dawn at the break of day and went in haste to the lion's den. We had, when he had come near to the den, of, to, to the den, of, okay, I'm telling you, when I say Daniel in the lion's den, it all gets all crowded in my mind. So, let me, let me do this over again. When he had come near the den to Daniel, he cried out with a troubled voice. The king spoke and said to Daniel, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you constantly serve, been able to deliver you from the lions? I, I, love, I love how Darius describes the God of Daniel. How does, he, does he describe him by the great and mighty power of God? No, he describes him by the way in which Daniel serves him. The God whom you constantly serve. Has he been able to save you? And this, this is where it gets really good. Verse 21, then Daniel spoke to the king. O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the mouths Shut the lions' mouths, and they have not harmed me. 
Inasmuch as I was found innocent before him and also toward you, O king, I have committed no crime. I mean, Daniel just has to kind of throw that on the end. Okay, I know it's been a few weeks ago, but we talked about SMA, all right? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, okay? They went into the fiery furnace. Another figure showed up with them in the furnace that was like, like one of the children, one of the sons of the gods, probably an angel, okay? And then Nebuchadnezzar saw them in this blazingly hot furnace, and he called them forth from the furnace and you remember, there wasn't a single hair on the top of their head singed, and guess, their, their clothes did not even smell like smoke. And now you have Daniel. Daniel did not have to go into that lion's den and go all Samson on these lions, okay? All right? I mean, he didn't rip them to shreds or anything. It wasn't like the Spirit gave Daniel power, this 80-some-year-old man, and he just ripped these lions to pieces. All right? No. God sent an angel and shut the mouths of the lions. God took care of them. And of these two men, Daniel and Darius, Daniel had the much easier night. Anybody here ever used the belly of a full-grown lion for a pillow before? I mean, can you imagine that? I mean, I have to have like a fan blowing at night to get me to sleep, you know? You mind putting your head on like the rib cage of a lion and hear like, I mean, can you, can you, wouldn't that be amazing? Hey, it would be amazing if an angel shut their mouths, Okay. The lions showed, according to Daniel, who was innocent here and who was guilty. And speaking of who was guilty, this is not the end of the story. This is where, this is where you would start wondering why you brought the kids to the theater with you, okay? Because Darius rounds up not only the commissioners who were the ones at the, right at the beginning of this manipulation, And he rounds them up. He rounds up their wives. He rounds up their children. And throws them into the lion's den. And for those who try to come into this story and try to take the miraculous out of it and say, well, Darius wasn't an idiot. He went and fed those lions ten cows before Daniel went in. I mean, good grief. All right? No, I don't think so. Because when those people were thrown into the den, before they even touched the ground, their bones were crushed and they were torn to pieces. And you're like, man, that's a little, is that a little overboard here? And I don't know, it is King Darius. Now you got to remember, you got, you got kings here who are incredibly paranoid because kings are getting overthrown all the time. And, and what, would, what would you think if you were a nine, ten-year-old boy and watched the king throw your dad into the lion's den and him get shredded, what would you think about that 15, 20 years later when you are in the army? Okay, I mean, regardless, it is an ugly, ugly scene. In all of this, just like we have seen time after time after time these past weeks, in a very dark place, or a place that looks like 
is void of anything to do with God, we see God is still in control. There's a few things that jump out of this passage to me, this this story, as we look to us years later. There's a few things that jump jump out of this at me, and some of them are kind of similar to what took place in Daniel chapter 3, and you'll probably notice the similarities. But the first one is this. In, in verse 10, you notice the privacy of Daniel's prayer. Okay, I mean, Daniel was given the decree, like everyone else, that you only pray through, through Darius. You don't pray to anyone else. You pray through him. And yet, he continues to pray directly to his God, but he's not doing it in the king's court. He's not going out in in Times Square, you know, dropping on his knees and praying to God right there, making a big deal of it. No, he goes to his home. He doesn't just go to his home. He goes to his bedroom. He opens the windows and he prays. Now, he's not fearful, but he's not flaunting his rebellion either. That's the first thing that jumps off the page to me. The next one that jumps off the page to me is the content of Daniel's prayer. He is in a tight spot here, folks. I mean, he really, really is. And if you look to verse 11, 10, into 10 and verse 11, you see that, that, that Daniel, first of all, gave thanksgiving to God. Even in the midst of, of extreme pressure. And he knows what's coming here, all right? And then, knowing what's coming, he prays to God and he says, God, I will be faithful to you through this. I am being faithful to you right now. I need your help with this one. I need your help. Prayer, supplication. Another thing that jumps off the page to me, and we've talked about this a little bit already, but in verse 16 is Darius knew of Daniel's loyalty to God. He said it was no secret that Daniel served God, the God, the God of God's. Another thing that kind of jumps off the page to me is this. Daniel's reaction, or not Daniel, Darius's reaction could not be any more different from that of King Nebuchadnezzar in chapter 3. You remember that? Chapter 3, these are the two that kind of look a little bit alike. The stories are somewhat similar. And in chapter 3, when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refused to bow before the statue, um, King Nebuchadnezzar is so mad, he throws, he throws like the biggest hissy fit you've ever seen. I mean, like, he just like goes crazy. He, he, that the, the results of that fit that he threw is some of his most valiant soldiers died throwing these three men into the, into the fiery furnace because he heated the thing up. It's because he was so mad. He was furious. And what you have here is Darius. And Darius is not furious. Darius is brokenhearted. Realizing that he'd been duped. And it wouldn't be him who paid the penalty. The one who would really pay the penalty was Daniel. And he was sorrowful. 
But when the good happens, when God comes to the rescue, notice who sings his praises. Now, don't forget, when you read in some of Nebuchadnezzar, it took Nebuchadnezzar going out and playing a cow for seven years to be humbled, all right? To say the right things about God. Even, even when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego emerged from that fiery furnace, I mean, Nebuchadnezzar made a decree, said people, people will not insult that God, the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, but he did not launch forth in praise. Look how this ends. Beginning with verse 25, it says, Then Darius the king wrote to all of the peoples, nations, and men of every language who are living in all the land, May your peace abound. I make a decree that in all the dominion of my kingdom, men are to fear and tremble before the God of Daniel. Now listen to this. For he is the living God, and that living God means he's active. Active. I mean, Darius had seen him at work himself. For he is a living God and enduring forever. And his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. And his dominion will be forever. He delivers and rescues and performs signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. This God who has delivered Daniel from the power of the lions. You know when I read those words of Darius, you know who comes to mind? Another guy, another king, a king who didn't throw somebody in a den of lions. He killed the lion when he was just a boy. And God was with him. He wasn't flawless. He made a lot of mistakes, but he was called a man after God's own heart. And you read a lot of his work in the Psalms. And you read his words of praise And guess what? Darius sounds a lot like him. I'm going to tell you a little formula that worked in that day and yet works still today. Listen closely to it. If you didn't get anything else today, get this. The character of Daniel. You take that and you add to that the faithfulness of of God. And you know what the result is? Praise from unlikely places. Darius praising the God of creation. This Persian king who knew nothing about this God, except for what he saw from God's servant, Daniel. You know, there's a parallel passage to this in the New Testament. And I know where you might be going, Hebrews chapter 11. And you would be right, okay, because the writer of Hebrews talks about the faith of Daniel. Okay, but that's not the one I'm referring to. I'm referring to the one from Jesus from his sermon. The one that we have adopted here at Deering as a part of our mission statement. And it reads in this way. Jesus saying to his followers, let your light shine before men 
that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. That's what we just saw here. Okay? I'm going to put that in shorthand for you, okay? Because Jesus spoke that before the cross, before his ascension, before the beginning of the church. And if Jesus was to say that today, he would probably say it a little bit differently. He would probably say something along the lines of this. In the dark world in which you live, let your light shine before people so that they might see what you are doing, your actions, your behaviors, your deeds, and glorify your Father in heaven and become a part of my kingdom. Praise from unlikely places. Darius does not have the market cornered on that, folks. Throughout history, and more specifically since the church began, there have been incredibly unlikely people sing the praises of God and become his followers and become redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. It happens every day still in our world. 